Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, worship team. How y'all doing? Good. Are you glad it's March? Sure. I don't know about you guys, but I'm one of those people where I just, winter's coming and I'm just, I think I got to get through December, January, February, and once March comes, everything is going to be nice because spring is coming and it's just going to be so much better. So anybody else? Not really. That's okay. But I'm excited and I'm glad it's March and spring is just around the corner. But we are in Ecclesiastes. We're continuing to wrestle with many of life's difficult questions. And we've talked about happiness, uh, where I can find it. We've talked about questions surrounding meaning and purpose, questions surrounding the unfairness of life and the issues of loneliness. And today we're going to look at another big topic in Ecclesiastes, something that is kind of, it can be kind of sensitive for a lot of people. And it's about money. About money. Why are we talking about money? I realize as soon as I say that word that there are walls that are kind of put up in some of us. There are barriers and we, we have this aversion to it. We don't like it when people talk about it. And I realize that some of us are ready to check out. And I understand that. That the truth is that there has been some things that have happened in churches. That we've seen televangelists on TV basically rob people out of their savings so that they can live these extravagant lifestyles and have these great houses and it leaves a bad taste in our mouth and I get it and I want you to know that but here's what I'm asking in spite of how you might be feeling in spite of how you might be feeling I want to ask you to just hang in there with me a little bit and listen for a while because I realize that some people say we, we can twist scripture around and, and we can make you feel bad. We can get you to do what you want to do. Or maybe some people have taken scripture and they've weaponized it against you and made you feel guilty and they've shamed you and made you feel bad, manipulating you into doing what they wanted to do. And I want you to know I'm not going to do that this morning. God doesn't shame or guilt us. He doesn't make us feel bad about where we're at, and I'm not going to do that either. But here's, here's why we're talking about money. Because the fact is that money affects some of the most important, some of the biggest things in our lives. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. It has a lot to say about it. Um, in the New Living Translation of the Bible, which is what we usually sit in on Sunday mornings, the, the book of Ecclesiastes mentions the word wealth eight times, money five times, prosperity once, rich three times, and poor five times. That's a total of 22 times in 12 chapters. And if we look at other parts of the Bible, we'll find that 16 of Jesus' 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. That's 42% of the parables that he shared. So money is a big deal to God, and it's not because he needs it or because he wants it, but because he knows that there are few things that affect our hearts in such a way that money does. And if we're truly going to be honest and dig into some of the deep questions about life, then money is going to be a very important topic. So here's, here's a, a quick question, just a survey as we start out. How many of you believe that money brings happiness? How many would say money brings happiness? One? Okay, a couple? Okay, good. 
Now, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you might admit to yourself, I have a hard time managing my money? You might admit, okay, we've got some hands up. Good. I have a hard time managing my money. And there are a number of reasons for that. Pastor John alluded to one last week, which is very relevant. He said that there's kind of a blurring of the lines between what a want is and what a genuine need is. We've kind of blurred that in our culture, and we get confused between the two. We might think that we need to have the latest iPhone, or we might need to have that shiny new car, or we might need to have the latest stuff. I heard a, a story recently about someone who owes the government a lot of money in back taxes for like years. They're in a terrible financial situation. Um, they don't know how they're going to come through. They don't know how they're going to do it, but they just went and bought a $35,000 car. And I was like, what are you thinking? That's crazy. That's crazy. But the fact is that a lot of us have big appetites. We've got big appetites. And I'm, I'm probably kind of one of those people because I like things. I like to buy things. I like new things. I like pretty things. I like fun things. It's just, things are nice. And then I've got my wife, Jessica, on the other side, where she's just content where she is. She doesn't want anything. She's impossible to buy for. And I feel like a bad person next to her because she just is always happy with everything that she has. So it, it causes some interesting things in our marriage over, over the years. But aside from our insatiable appetites, there are a number of, of other things that can play into our ability to manage money well. And a lot of those things we have no control over, Right? Um, we could, the economy could be bad. We could be laid off from our jobs for a time. Uh, there could be sickness in the family, some family situations. We could be robbed. Uh, there could be natural disasters. All kinds of things can affect our ability to manage our money. And some of those we do have no control over. But rather than focus on all of these things and kind of what to look at in specific situations, um, I would like to take kind of more of a holistic kind of approach and just look at what God says about money in life. What, what are some principles from the Bible about this subject? So we're going to start with Ecclesiastes because that's where we've been sitting on for the last couple of months. And Ecclesiastes has a lot of things to say about it. So, what does Solomon, our great wise teacher in Ecclesiastes, have to say about money? What does he say? In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, he says, It does not satisfy. It doesn't satisfy. He said, I tried to find meaning by building huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I bought slaves, both men and women. I also owned large herds and flocks. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I hired wonderful singers and had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. So Solomon, who had everything he could have ever wanted, said money simply does not satisfy. He says that those who pursue it will never have enough. They'll never have enough. He says in chapter 5, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. You know, the idea of, of pursuing more, it's actually sparked a, a kind of a new word in our culture and is literally making people sick. It's making people sick. They're going to the hospital because they have all kinds of emotional and physical problems. It's called affluenza. 
Have you heard of it? Affluenza. It's a blending of the words affluence and influenza. And it's defined as a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. People make themselves sick trying to get more, more stuff, trying to get up to some certain level in society so that they can have this level and have more. And it's making them sick. Solomon says we cannot take money with us. We cannot take it with us. He says, We all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as on the day we were born. We can't take our riches with us. And this, too, is a very serious problem. People leave this world no better off than when they came. I, don't, I just think that's funny that he says, This, too, is a very serious problem. Because it's, it's funny, but he realizes even though we can accumulate all of this wealth, all of this stuff that we have in life, our houses, money, our savings account, we can't take it with us. When we die, we are left off no better than when we came into this world. And lastly, he says, be content. Be content with what you have. He says, enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. And again, these are the words of Solomon, the man who had everything, and he realized that money does not fulfill, it does not satisfy, and it does not bring happiness. So what is God's heart concerning money? Because that's the real question, isn't it? What is God's heart concerning money? And what does God want us to know about it. But do you agree that's kind of an important question? So here's here's a big idea and it's probably probably not new. But I think if we really take this and we live our lives this way, it's going to change a lot about us. How how we live, how we think, and everything that we do. The big idea is this, everything is God's. Everything is God's. David says in Psalm 24, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. So that's us, that's our stuff, our houses, our cars, our homes, our savings accounts, our weekly paychecks. It all belongs to him. It's not ours, but it's his. When David was collecting offerings to build the temple for God, he prayed this prayer to God. And I find this just amazing. But he says, Who am I? And who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you. And we give you only what you first gave us. O Lord our God, even this material we have gathered to build the temple to honor your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. So do you agree with that, that everything is God's? Would you say, I believe that, that's true? That everything is God's, everything we have is actually His. It's not our own. Because I'm going to probe just a little bit. How is that demonstrated in your life? How is that demonstrated in your life? How is that evident? Now, many of us might look at our tithe as a demonstration, right? We give 10% of our income to God. Yes! And that's great. 
Um, and there are others of us who are just as sincere in our faith who think a tithe, that's like Old Testament, that we're not under a tithe anymore. This is, we're under grace. We're not under the law, right? So two different sides just as sincere in their faith, and they have very different opinions. Does it apply today? Does the concept of tithing apply today? What is a tithe? Ten percent. Some would say gross, some might say net. Tithe is one-tenth of a person's goods that is dedicated to God, right? Now, the concept was derived from the Old Testament, and the tithe was set up by God as a way to provide food for the priests and the Levites because they were not given any land like the other tribes of Israel. So God set this up to provide for them. And that was one tithe. That was 10%. There was a second tithe that was given every year to fund all of the national celebrations. And then on top of that, there was a third tithe that was given every third year that was kind of a poor tax that was distributed to the people who were poor. And then besides that, there was additional things that the Israelites were supposed to and not supposed to do to help provide for the poor. So ultimately, when you're all done with this, there could be about 25% of a person's income that was given to God in one way or another. And then there's free will offerings on top of that. So this is 25%. So... How does that apply to us today? What does that really mean? As Christians, should we tithe? And if we do, do we give this 10% that we've kind of learned our lives, or is it more like 25%? Or is it none of the above? What do we do with this idea that Paul says in Romans that we are no longer under the law, but under grace? Do we no longer need to give? And the interesting thing is if we actually look at the implications of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, if we really look at that, we're going to find that living under grace is actually a lot harder than living under the law. Living under grace is actually a lot harder than living under the law. Because it cuts right to a person's heart. See, we like to make things easier... And we like to make rules. This is right and this is wrong. This is right and this is wrong. This is right and this is wrong. And this is right and wrong for me, but now it's right and wrong for you too. And you make this line where this is how it is. So we kind of make our own law. But Jesus has a way of kind of flipping everything on its head and going way deeper than our actions alone. And he cuts right into the motivations of our heart. Right into our heart. And it's in that space I think we are, I often start to realize I ain't as good as I think I am. I'm not as good as I think I am because on the outside everything can look really good and nice, but on the inside, man, I'm wrestling. I've got some things that I'm struggling with. There's some ugliness in me, and I know my own heart. So when God starts pointing into my heart, I, I realize it might look good on the outside, but it's not all that clean on the inside. But if we believe, again, that God owns everything, if we believe he owns everything, then here are some ways that this is going to look in our giving. If we believe that God owns everything, we will give generously. We're going to give generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 have this theme of generosity. It's all in there. It's a great place to kind of sit in for a while if you want to look at how God views money and giving. But as a theme of generosity, as we give 
as we give generously, God is going to increase our capacity to give even more generously. And this is how he wants us to give. If we believe God owns everything, we're going to give joyfully. We're going to give joyfully. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Do you know that it doesn't really matter how much money you give? Like it really doesn't. I could have, I could make $100,000 a year and give 80% of it to God. And if I'm begrudging and I'm like, fine, take it, rah, fine. It isn't really going to have any good effect. Have you ever had anybody give you a gift and it wasn't really from the heart? They just kind of felt like they had to? It's not the same thing. God wants a cheerful giver. And so when we give, as we recognize that he has everything, we should give cheerfully. We should give joyfully. If we believe God owns everything, we will give in proportion to what we have. We'll give in proportion to what we have. Paul says, whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. So what does that mean? What does that mean? It means God doesn't want you to break the bank trying to give to him, right? Don't give outside of your means. Don't take a loan so you can give to him. But give in proportion to what you have. Now, some of us might look at a percent of that, and maybe I'm making $10,000 a year, and I give 2%. But if I'm making 100000 or say I give 10%, so that's $100, right? What did I just say? I totally lost my place. Yeah, so if I'm making $1,000 and 10% is $100, if I'm making $100,000, 10% would be $10,000. So I've got $90,000, this other guy's got 9000 So you could look at percentages, and that would be fair, it's kind of proportion, but really I've got so much more than this other person over there, I could probably give a greater proportion of my income. Maybe or maybe not. It's between you and God, but that's kind of the deal. But he doesn't want us to give more than what we have. And if we believe that God owns everything, we're going to trust that God will supply our needs. We're going to trust that God will supply our needs if we truly believe that he owns everything. Paul says, God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides heat for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. And I love what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God is going to provide. God is going to take care of us. So the question is, do we live our lives like we believe that God owns everything? Do we live our lives like we believe that God owns everything? Because I think, I think we're really good 
generally as thinking like God has given us everything. He's given me my house. He's given me everything that I have. And thank you, God. Thank you so much for this. But do we really believe that he owns what we have? When we get our paycheck, do we look at it like this? God, this is your money. How do you want me to spend it? Or do we look at it, this is all mine. I get to have it. I get to do whatever I want with it. Thank you, God. And asked the question at the beginning of this message. It said, does money bring happiness? Saul would say no. There's a few hands that went up. Does money bring happiness? And it doesn't. It might help things. We need money to survive. We need it for the good things. But does it really bring happiness? And if we know that it doesn't, if we know that it doesn't, then why do we often act like it does? Why do we regard it so much? Why is it so hard to give up if we know that it's not going to bring happiness? Do we need the, the newest cars, the, the, continuing, um, the continuing improvements in our homes or as our, our living goes up, like our, our style of living goes up? Is that going to increase our happiness? And sometimes we might find, if we really think about it, that there's a disconnect from what we know versus what we really believe. From what we know versus what we really believe. We may know that God owns everything. We may know that everything is his. We may know that we can trust him. We may know that he is worthy of it all, but when we really stop to consider how our actions or how, how we live, we might find that maybe we really don't believe it because our actions aren't showing that. And that's why Jesus is always pointing to our heart. What do you believe? What do you want? What do you really desire? What do you treasure in life? See, money is one of the greatest indications of where my heart is. And that's why Jesus said it. Don't store up treasures here on earth. Store your treasures in heaven. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Where are you putting your treasure? Where are we putting our treasure? What are we valuing? Now, I don't know the exact percentages because we don't really give an exact percent of what we have, but I know Jess and I, uh, we give about 20 to 25% of our income um, to God. And uh, we give it to God. Most of it goes through Southside, but we really, we give to God. And I say this not to say, look at us, look at what we're giving, because I know that they're far more generous people than we are. And some of them are in this room right here, but I say that. Because I want you to know that we believe this and we put our money where our mouth is. And the, the, the fact is that I know that not everybody is in a place where they could even do that. And if you were, I wouldn't necessarily expect you to give that. That's between you and God. But I want you to know that we believe in this idea. We believe in what Southside is doing. We want to be a part of what God is doing in Southside. We believe in what the Christian Missionary Alliance is doing across the world. I don't think anybody does it better 
And we give to God to support the ministry there so that we are participating in God's work. Now, when I came here on staff last April, it hasn't even been a year. It's almost a year. But when I came here on staff, I took about a fifteen to $20,000 pay cut per year. And I'm, I was happy to do that because I believe that this is where God has us. And I know money is it's not about money. I just want to be where God has me. But when this happened, Jess and I had to make a decision. And we looked at what we were giving and all the things that we were giving to and we had to decide, are we going to continue to give this or are we going to give less because I'm making less? And we decided to keep giving where we were. We didn't know how that was going to look. We didn't know like what life was going to look like or what it was going to look like as we took in a lot less money, but we decided we're going to try to do this and just see what happens. And I'll tell you, God has been faithful. And we haven't just given the same amount, but we've actually increased our giving quite a bit over the last year because we heard stories about what God was doing in other parts of the world through the Christian Missionary Alliance, and we thought, you know, I want to be a part of that. And so we started giving more. And I don't think we've really noticed any big drop in how we're living, and it's just been really amazing to see God at work in this. It's been really cool. Now, as our income throughout the years has gone up, because I worked at Bemis, I had a, a job, and my, our income level went up, we made a decision not to upgrade our standard of living. So we have the same house as an old house. Uh, we have decided to be content with older cars. We've got old appliances, old stuff in our house. All of our appliances outside of our dishwasher are 19 years old. Because uh, we got them the same month that Jacob was born. So not quite 19 months, but in May they'll be 19 years old. And we're just, we've decided to be content with what we have. And I realize that, you know, God is faithful. We've seen him work through that. And it's just been really neat to see that. And as a pastor here at Southside, I want you to know that on some level, on kind of a selfish level, I don't really care what you give or what you don't give. I really don't. Because I've seen God provide for this church over and over again, and there have been times where we wonder, like, how in the world is this going to work? How is this going to happen? Like, we're in trouble. But then, next thing you know, God comes through, we're fine. So as long as God wants us here in this church, we're going to be here. Everything's going to be fine. But on a different level, I do care about what you give, because I want God's best for you. I want his best for you, and I, I want him to bless you. I want him to, to, to do great things in your life, and that's going to happen through our generosity. Not necessarily financial blessing, but he's going to bless you in so many other ways, so many ways that are going to be much better. And just imagine what he could do. Imagine what he would do if he had all of our hearts, all of our resources, all of our time, all of our talents, everything you were. If we would give that to God, imagine what he would do through us. Imagine what he would do in the community and in the world as we offer that to him. It's kind of cool to think about. So here's the ask, and there's no pressure, but if you're not giving to Southside, I'm going to ask you to consider giving and participating in what God's work is here. And if you are uncomfortable, if you're hesitant, that's fine. Don't give. If you think I'm being manipulative and you just don't like this at all, I don't want you to give. God doesn't want you to give either. Just keep your money. 
But if you want to be a part of what God is doing, I'd encourage you to start making some steps to give because he's going to bless you for it. Some really cool things are going to happen. But if you are in a place where maybe you're hesitant or, or, or whatever, here's what I would ask. Because it doesn't matter what I say. It doesn't matter what Pastor John says or what you should give. This is totally between you and God. So here's what I would ask. If you don't like this idea, if you're really struggling with this concept, would you create some space with God this week? And ask some questions. Let him point at your heart and find out what's going on in there. Because we may realize that there are things in there that we haven't really realized before. And if you ask questions like why I'm not wanting to give, you, you might find yourself asking things like, am I afraid that I won't have enough if I give? Am I afraid that God won't provide for my needs? Do I, do I not really trust God to provide for me? Do I not trust the leadership of this church in order to give to God through this church? Very valid question. Do I care more about material things than I do about the kingdom of God? It could be different. And you know what? There's no fault in any of that. We are where we are. We are where we are. But God wants to meet us where we are with loving arms. And he wants to speak into our lives. And we need to be honest with God and with ourselves about where we're really at. Because that's where God is going to do his work. That's where God is going to do his work. So if we're asking questions like, how much do I have to give? What's the minimum amount? That's kind of missing the whole point. We're asking the wrong question. But God, what do you want? What do you want? And as Saul said, we want to connect with God. We want to connect with each other in our community and the world. And I believe we're doing that. Um, as a church, we want to be faithful with what God has given us. And I know, like for me, I don't want to just be here on a church on Sunday mornings, week after week, and just do the same thing. I think that God has more for us. And I want to be where he's leading. I want to be off doing what he's doing to really reach into our community and to make an impact into our world. Because that's God's mission. It's his mission for us to, to know Jesus and to make him known. And he invites us. He doesn't push us. He doesn't pressure us. He doesn't force us. But he invites us to be a part of his work. So would you consider doing that? And again, if you're not ready, don't. Okay? But I'm going to invite up Dustin Veldkamp. He's our church treasurer. And uh, it's great to have him here as a church, we are a body of believers united for a common cause, the name of Jesus. And as elders, we recognize that we are accountable to God and we're accountable to the body here for the decisions we make. And we genuinely desire to follow Jesus, to follow God as he leads. And one of the things I appreciate about Dustin, he's, he's not just, a, he's, he's really tall. I always forget how tall you are until like I'm standing right by you. <laughs> But he's not just a numbers guy, but I've seen his heart for Jesus just in all his different areas of his life. And it's just so good, and I'm glad you're serving as our treasure. But we've got a lot of things coming up. We've got some things happening, some things changing. Yes. So why don't you, you fill us in on, on what God's doing?